We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword of Cinema podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 2017's Brawl in Cell Block 99, written and directed by S. Craig Zoller. Here's a clip. who could just as easily be on this side of the table. That muscle's just for show. Helps me lift stuff. Man principle. Relinquish it now. You know the difference between right or wrong. And you have a moral compass. I knew before you told me that you got an American flag in your home, you probably got more than one. You're a patriot. All right. That was a clip from 2017's Brawl in Cell Block 99, again, written and directed by S. Craig Zoller. I already said he was awesome on a previous take, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Uh, and starring Vince Vaughn, joining me solely to discuss this great, great film is Simon Howell. <laughs> this movie made Ricky so mad <laughs> that he decided not to be on this episode, which tells you something, actually tells you a lot about Brawl in Cell Block 99. And um, we'll get into why I think this happened. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. You've got a little more inside knowledge than me on this. I was watching this movie and trying to figure out exactly what made Rick so mad about this movie. Because I thought, even as I was watching, I was thinking he would normally love something like this, at least based on what I know about his tastes. Um, but yeah, apparently it made his list of, like, his hit list. and not His on the good shit list, list, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> of things he'd like to murder. Um, <laughs> well, I picked this movie. I did not expect it to provoke such reactions. I thought that this was a perfect movie for the Sword of Cinema podcast and that we'd all three sort of get in on this thing. Because honestly, Simon, after watching, I've seen this movie a few times. It's just one of those go-to movies that I watch every once in a while. And after watching it with like a little different perspective, after hearing what Ray thought, I, I still think this is a perfect, perfect movie for what it's trying to do. I mean, I, I don't throw the word perfect around. I definitely wouldn't call this movie perfect. Uh, in fact, I think the thing that I love about this movie is that it, it is so 
S. Craig Zoller's movies have a handcrafted quality. And it's not just because he writes, directs, you know, does all these stuff, you know, does all the things that, you know, multi-hyphenates often do. And we should note, contributes original soul music yeah. for the for the driving sequences. I mean, the, the, the guy wants you to know this is his playground where we're fooling around in. And that playground is a place where we take our time, we take our sweet sweet ass time to do pretty much anything um this is even more pronounced in the film he made after this dragged across concrete which yes. maybe we'll talk about a little bit but not much um i mean look the movie is called brawl in cell block 99 it is 132 minutes long <laughs> i i didn't i didn't check my watch but i would say it takes Oh, at, at least a full hour to even get to the initial prison where cell block 99 isn't. Okay. That's correct. I did check my watch. So it, it is about an hour. It's, it's right in there. Yeah. Right. So if the concept of a movie called brawl in cell block 99, uh, where it takes uh, almost, well, I'd say it takes about 90 minutes to even reach cell block 99, let alone have a brawl in it. Um, if, if that concept amuses you, uh, then definitely watch this movie. If that concept annoys you, definitely do not watch this movie. <laughs> well, I think we're going to get into like, I, see, for me, I don't throw the word perfect around either too often. But as I was watching for this podcast, we have our little qu our questions and things like that, where we're going to try to pick out flaws. I was trying to think of specific things, right? I'm watching it with the podcast in mind this time. And we're going to get into this, but it would be hard for me to cut a frame out of this movie. Now, I I'm going to be interested in hearing what you have to say about that, because you, you clearly think it has some flaws. But uh, I was really trying to think of what I would leave out or what I would change this movie. And I was struggling with it because I was that is this is one of the fastest 132 minutes movies for me that I've ever seen. Like it breezes by and maybe it just clicks in with me for some reason on some level that whatever movies are it can be a very personal thing right so yeah it was gonna be a struggle for me i'm gonna give the the audience a, pr a premise really quick because not a lot of people have seen this movie <laughs> even though it it got a release in theaters but it was short-lived um i think it's lived mostly on amazon prime since then uh it is basically the story of a guy who's uh sort of down on his luck blue collar guy gets fired from his job so he decides to go back to a drug running job that he once held uh, for a friend, you know, working for a friend, things go south during a drug deal. He gets sent to prison, and the people who got hurt, who lost money during this drug deal that went south, decide to exact some revenge on him by sending him to cell block 99, a maximum security wing of a uh, of a horrible prison run by, <laughs> by by basically a totalitarian prison warden, um, played by a great Don Johnson, who also appeared in Hell Yes. Dr. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, he has to basically find his way from a medium level security prison to this maximum level security prison by beating up guards and anybody else along his way to get into trouble. And anyway, greatness ensues. <laughs> it's it's a gritty. I don't know. It's one of the coolest movies. And I, I, that's a weird thing for me to say, but it is a cool movie, in my opinion. And it's one of those things that I can just sit back and get sucked into immediately. Um, uh, so a couple of things I think we I should make clear about this movie before we get into the nitty gritty and plot details again, so that people at home 
will have some sense of whether or not they actually want to watch this. The first thing to notice, uh, to note rather, is S. Craig Zoller has a very specific idea of what screen violence should be like. Um, the his movies, even though like they feature grotesque ask, acts of violence that are maybe not, uh, shall we say, completely realistic in terms of could <laughs> humans actually do this? I think in general the answer is probably not without without a lot more difficulty than we're seeing Vince Vaughn do here. Right, but. The injuries themselves and the way that the violence is depicted is brutal and feels grounded in reality uh, in a way that makes it more disturbing to watch. And I think that the the thing that some people, I think, recoil against, I think Ricky might be one of these people. Uh, I was watching this film in my apartment and uh, my, my roommate was kind of, uh, you know, not watching the movie with me, but kind of walking back and forth. Uh, up and down the apartment, and uh, we got to the sequence where there is a skirmish in a uh, in a prison hallway, mm-hmm. and it seems to be like at that point the film hasn't really established just how nasty it's willing to get, and it seems it seems like it's just going to be like a standard issue wrestling match fight. I mean, there's there's a boxing theme to the scene for obvi- for reasons that make sense, mm-hmm. um, and then. Uh, Vince Vaughn pins the guy down and snaps his arm in half, uh, complete with one of the nastiest compound fractures. <laughs> and, and by nastiest, I mean most realistic. Yeah. Um, that I can recall in a movie. And it happened so fast. And my roommate just recoiled and was like, ah! <laughs> like, I yeah. like, you're really not... The, the movie does not set you up or prepare you for these moments. Uh, and... I think that the, the violence is so nasty that it makes I think it makes it hard for some people to access the ways in which the movie is actually very funny and very um, the way it constructs this very specific world uh, world worldview set of rules or whatever um, that is totally constructed around Vince Vaughn's character. It, I don't know. I, I think that th- there is there are certain aesthetic choices in certain ways that Zoller does things that I think um, crosses people's wires and and either really pisses them off or just really turns them off. Uh, and that's totally separate, by the way, from his politics, which we definitely need to talk about at some point, um, which is also a problem for people. But uh, we'll we'll get there. <laughs> so I mean, I should say that 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 is. Probably the most, I would say, wincing, uh, wince-inducing scene in the movie. Even though there are brutal scenes in the rest of the movie, I actually find them to be a little more fun because they involve prosthetics that clearly look fake. The arm breaking looks real. Yes. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the problem with the arm breaking. Later on, there's like a face that gets mashed, and I find that to be actually more fun um, mm-hmm. because it looks ridiculous in a way. And at that point, the you know the the fights have gone to these absurd levels, and you've gotten to to go along with this character. Uh, but it, it's he he has I mean Bone Tomahawk, his first movie, the one that introduced me to Zoller, I you know, and I think Brawl and Cellbook '99 solidified Zoller as somebody I'm now always going to watch, and then mm-hmm. Drive Across Concrete, same thing. Um, they have these moments of these shocking moments of violence, and Bone Tomahawk only has really the one. Um, I, I, the opening of the movie can kind of grab you for a second, but it's not so brutal that you're you're turned off. 
Yeah, unless um, you're a car, in which yeah. case it's extremely violent. <laughs> but the end of Bone Tomahawk has something that is hard for me, difficult to watch as a character gets completely eviscerated and torn in half. Yeah, what's funny is that his movies have actually gotten more patient and less violent with yes. each, each one. Like, despite the despite the title, Dragged Across Concrete, I don't even really remember, other than maybe one or two scenes, all that much violence. Yeah, there's some there's a part where the hand is blown off. <laughs> Jennifer Carpenter's hand, uh, who also appears here in Brawl of Zelda 99. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of things in there, but it's not nearly as um, queasy. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It's surprising. Um, it, it shocks you because all of a sudden it just happens. But that, that arm breaking I, this is brutal. I think another thing we need to establish for anyone who hasn't seen a, an S. Craig Zoller film is, you know, ever since Tarantino happened, there has been uh, there's been a lot of people who have tried to do sort of um, personalized takes on the Tarantino thing or, you know, trying to do a, a, a similar thing where you're building a private universe of how genre film should work. And most of those are very, very bad. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that S. Craig Zoller succeeds because um, he he has a very specific outlook and a very specific uh, set of interests and a very specific way of expressing those interests by which I mean, um, you know, th there's all this talk about S Craig Zoller. He's a, you know, supposedly a, a, you know, an American conservative. Probably he is. I, I haven't read interviews with him. Uh, I don't know exactly what his beliefs are. I don't know if any of those beliefs are problematic. They probably are. Uh, but the sense you get from his movies is that this is a guy uh, who has, I guess, what might be considered like traditional conservative American values. That is like, uh, you know, preserving the nuclear family. Uh, there is there's there's a bit of a pro-life theme to this movie, which we can also get into. Um, a little bit, yep. But at the same time, he seems to really take pleasure in messing with your perception of what his politics are. By which I and there's a I mean, the best example of that is in this movie where Vince Vaughn uh, as Bradley Thomas, not Brad, Bradley, do mm -hmm. not get that wrong or you might end up with your <laughs> face mashed in. Uh, he plays uh, clearly an ex-con uh, or, or at least someone with a very shady background. He's got what looks like an iron cross on the back of his skull, um, presumably from a very long time ago. And when I say that, it's because. The film is constantly throwing in lines of dialogue from him where other characters are being homophobic or racist or sexist or whatever. And he either says nothing or sort of politely corrects them or like points out the absurdity of their beliefs. I can um, think one particular scene that you might be referencing with Gil. Yes. Um, and, uh, Gil, by the way, played by uh, Mark Blucas from Buffy uh, yeah. with a, in, a, in a very strange career renaissance. So good for him. Yep. Um, but uh, so I, I there's that. And I don't know. There's other other specifics we can get into. But I feel like the movie is constant. Like Zoller seems to really enjoy needling audiences about about their perception of what's happening. Uh, and I mean, that gets more blatant in uh, in Dragged Across Concrete, where 
he's made a an epic about police brutality and misconduct starring Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson, two of uh, two of uh, Hollywood's most famous conservatives. Um, I mean, he's doing stuff like that all over the place in this movie, too. And um, it's it, it makes it really tough to get a bead on like what he really believes. And I think that that's why he does it. And I think he, he gets a kick out of that. I, I also think that there's a tendency, especially at least what I've noticed in, in American film criticism, especially, you know, during these times where people want to identify someone. And I've read Zauer interviews. He will not give anything up. He does. He go. refuses to discuss his politics. And I think I, I find that to be a great thing where he does have a viewpoint in life. But he, you know, clearly and it's showing through in his movies. And there are commonalities and themes between his movies. There's always something about the the working class person is getting beat down in most of his movies. They're just yeah. bad things happening. Uh, the universe is against them, but not just the universe. It's the system that's against them as well. And But he doesn't spread that across to one particular group. He spreads that across to everybody. And you see that especially in Drive Across Con uh, Concrete, where it's not like he's just homing in on the Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn characters. There are other characters. There's another very important character in that film that is also beaten down by the system. So he's kind of he's talking about America in general when it seems like a lot of critics that want to dissect him want to talk about America in specifics. I think that's um, what makes him interesting. I, he strikes me from his movies as a guy who maybe, like, I don't know, maybe he used to be a MAGA guy or, like, he used to have some romantic, con or maybe even still has some romantic concept of what life in America could be like. However, unlike most uh you know, most American conservatives, he seems to have a pretty clear-eyed view of how the economic system grinds people down, of how the penal system, even though it is completely absurdly depicted in this movie, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, how the p penal and criminal justice system are completely broken, um, how, I don't know, the, the, the grudgery, the, the, the drudgery and, um, and general grime of American life is totally not lost on him. Uh, in fact, it's it's a major focus, so, and that seems to be totally incompatible with sort of like MAGA mindset or whatever. Yeah, that's why I, I find him. I think that there that a lot of people are missing the mark. He might just be. There are independent thinkers, and we tend to want to categorize everybody in this country. Um, but there are independent thinkers out there, and I feel like the the sense that I get from his movies is that he is one. He may take a little bit from every side because that's what his movies seem to be. He definitely leans, uh, like you said, towards this more traditional thing. And I think we could discuss kind of like the style, the world, the worlds of his movies are very stylized and almost fairy tale like they're not, yeah. they're not reality. They're not set in American cities. They're not set in real places. You have no idea where, I don't really know where Brawl and Cell Block 99 is supposed to be. They're near an ocean. So you could think maybe Miami, but he doesn't really show any Miami. Uh, and Drive Across Concrete is a fake city completely, so it's mm. meant to be maybe like a Detroit or something like that, but it doesn't exist. And they don't feel real. Like you mentioned, the prison system in this is absurd. It is absurd. It's like he's going through, he's going into the evil castle, right? Yeah. To find the ogre. I, I, I just think there's a, he's clearly, he's making these stuff, but he's making it otherworldly at the same time, which I find very interesting. Yeah, and, um, you know, another movie this one reminds me a lot about, another movie made by an American iconoclast, uh, actually, in that case, just a straight-up conservative, um, about a movie that seems to be governed completely by the protagonist's own rules for life, 
And that movie is Red Belt by David Mamet. I don't know if anyone out there has seen it. Um, but that's a movie whose plot makes no sense unless you see it through the lens of the main character. And I think Cell Block 99 is basically the same way. Like the, the entire point of the movie is to act as a series of tests and trials for this man whose greatest crime is having any principles at all. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. I, I mean, that's, I mean, ultimately his greatest crime is lots and lots of murder, but I mean, to start, <laughs> <laughs> but he's kind of forced into that murder. If you think about what happens, he's uh, so I think what, one of these what these a lot of his movies do is show how tough the world can be for principled people. Uh, he has a code, uh, an, an ethical code, and you saw this in Bone Tomahawk as well. When you have some sort of principle and you feel that there's a right thing to do, the world can be brutal to you because it is not filled with people with principles necessarily. This is Zoller's, Zoller's worlds that he's creating. I'm not going to comment on the actual world, but... It is, he's basically saying it is hard on people who try to do the right thing. And that's what this is all about. Like he, yes, he does kill people in this. There's no question about it, but it's the killings are things that he feels that he has to do. His, the initial like inciting incident when the drug deal goes south, he can, he could walk away and let a bunch of, you know, let police get into a shootout with a couple of thugs and, you know, maybe a cop or two dies and maybe these guys die. He could just walk away and get away scot-free. But he doesn't. He goes back and he kills the two. This is where we're going to get the spoilers, everybody. He kills the two guys that he was doing the deal with and, and turns himself into the cops. He did something that he thought was right, and he is now going to be punished for it. Punished yeah. severely by a system that doesn't care about principles, that seems to reward... Uh, other things more, it seems to reward greed and power and uh, morality more. Self-interest yeah, self uh, at, at the height of everything. And this is, yes, this is absolutely, if whatever the plot summary is, what this really is, is a movie about a guy who picks the hard way every time. <laughs> at, <laughs> with, with, with a couple of exceptions, um, you know, the film opens with, of course, him getting uh, sacked uh, unceremoniously from his job as a mechanic. Uh, and at, a, after which point he discovers that Jennifer Carpenter has, has his uh, partner has cheated on him. He destroys his car and then makes the decision. I'm going to go back to doing something that I know is wrong because, uh, this, this life is shit basically. Um, yeah. Cause he wants to salvage the relationship with his wife that in one of the more interesting scenes, and we'll get to this one later, but he, yeah, he tries to, instead of doing the thing that you think would happen, his wife, he discovers his wife is cheating on him, but he wants to and you think that there's going to be a moment of domestic abuse going on here it borderline goes right on you know he is a blue collar guy and mm -hmm. you think that there's going to be some some fists thrown um but instead he decides to calm himself down and try to salvage the relationship with his wife by also accepting responsibility well i mean he also calms himself down by hand by hand destroying his own car yeah, <laughs> he had to do that first, and you got to give him credit for that for recognizing the, his own violence in him. Um, that's why I find that's what I find fascinating about this character. He's, he does seem to know himself pretty well. Yes, uh, he he has he has self knowledge, and he seems to be. Uh, life is very frustrating to him, partially because other people seem to lack self knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, and. Um, the I, I think it's important to acknowledge that like after that, when he makes his one 
his one ethical lapse, which is to go back to uh, to being a drug runner. Uh, as a result, he ends up in a set of situations where he has a the e the easy way and the hard way. The other mistake, of course, that he that he makes is allowing uh, Gill to set him up on a run with some untrustworthy people who he knows can't be trusted. Uh, but then he offers him time off to potentially spend with his daughter. So again, he the the, the hard option is always the correct one. Uh, S. Craig Zeller seems to be saying, and when you don't take the hard option, bad things happen. Right. Uh, the rest the, for the entire rest of the movie, the entire next hour and three quarters, Bradley makes the hard choice, <laughs> and uh, and it's all about watching him. It's the 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 rolling escalating consequences of a man who can only make the hard, wrong, bad choice. After he's arrested, he uh, he's set up in an interview with a DA or whatever. And the DA says, look, we, we know that you try to do a good thing. We like we can we can recognize that in sentencing. Just roll over. Just tell us who your people are. And of course, he can't do that, even though these are some of the worst people alive. Yep. Um, so he has to go to jail. When he gets to jail, Udo Kier shows up. By the way, if you're in jail and Udo Kier comes to visit you, <laughs> you know. have fucked up. <laughs> I know. Um, and and Udo Kier tells him, if you don't if you don't find and kill this guy, we're gonna do horrible, horrible things to Jennifer Carpenter and your unborn child. Uh, at this point, there is no choice. Like you said, uh, Patrick, there is only one course, even though, and I mean, Look, we're we're totally in spoiler territory, so I hope you've decided whether or not you're going to watch this movie. Um, even though the entire plot is a ruse just to get him in a room with the guys he fucked over so that they can, you know, kill him horribly. Um, it doesn't change the fact that he had only one option. And in that in that sense, it's very much akin to a samurai film or any other a, a movie like Ghost Dog, which is obviously samurai inspired any film about a character who is who is driven by a sole purpose, uh, consequences be damned. And of course, the consequences are horrible. Um, it's very much a modern, uh, quippy take on that sort of thing. Yeah, he made his one choice, and now his path is set. Like, in order to at least have somewhat of a good outcome, he is going to have to sacrifice quite a bit um, to atone maybe for, for that, making that easy choice of becoming the drug runner and getting wealthy and having the nice house and having the new baby. Um, yeah, he took the easy way out. And so now there is only one, there's only one fate for him. It's just going to be a, whether or not he can make the world a, a little bit, a slightly better place. I only just noticed on, on this viewing, by the way, something that probably should have been obvious. Christopher Bridge the guy he's supposed to find, like I have a bridge to sell you. Oh, I like, never even thought about exist. that. <laughs> <laughs> nice touch. Yeah, so we could spoil this for people right now. What the what happens uh, essentially is that the drug dealer who was hurt the most, not Gil, his sort of drug dealer friend, but the one that Gil was working with, has apparently one of his own employees. I, I this is where I I wonder if if Rick saw some plot holes as to why you know he ends up being led back to that drug dealer. But I'm assuming that one of his own guys rolled over on him, probably the bigger guy because the other guy died, the smaller guy in the in the drug bust. Yeah, they sort of let that sit there as uh, as as a possibility, but it's never actually brought up. No, no. But he is now in prison. And he is in the maximum security prison. And is he and he is trying to have Vince Vaughn brought to him? So he has had his people on the outside 
kidnapped Vince Vaughn's wife, played by Jennifer Carpenter, who is pregnant. Um, what, she's uh, seven months pregnant, I think? She's pretty pregnant. Yeah. And <laughs> definitely. And they're go- they threaten to have a Korean abortionist who specializes in being able to snip off limbs of fetuses. If this is too disgusting for people, well, again, you won't want to watch is this the movie, movie you came for. Yeah. <laughs> So they threaten to have him uh, basically mail him the body parts of his unborn child uh, unless he does what they tell him to do. And what this drug leader wants is to get Vince Vaughn into that maximum security prison with him so that he can torture him to death. And he probably still would have killed the wife and the kid, too. Um, How he got there, I think, might confuse some people. Like I say, I I just assume that his own guy rolled over on him and never said anything and then probably said that must have been Vince Vaughn that did it. Um, Something like that. Uh, well, that I mean, that that's what I assumed. I don't think it would have hurt the movie to like right before he he stomps that guy's head off or whatever. Which just, is one just, of the to just greatest. be like to just be like. By the way, you do know your own boy rolled on you, right? Anyway, bye, bitch. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. I, I I would have been totally fine with that, uh, but I was also totally fine with leaving it unstated. Yeah, I'm okay with it because again, none of this feels completely real to me. It just felt like he was going to see the evil wizard in the castle, and that's exactly yeah how how it is because he sort of is descending into hell through the various prisons <laughs> and the various I mean, rooms that he gets yeah. in prison. <laughs> so. Like, I mean, he is literally that that saying. I, I have to, I have to assume that the entire staging of that last act was inspired by the phrase "they're going to put you under the prison" um, because that's literally what they do. Yeah. The uh, I just noticed also that the, the Wikipedia entry for Brawl and Cell Block 99 describes it as a neo-noir prison thriller, um, which is an interesting way to put it, um, because it sort of is a neo-noir in a way, uh, in the sense of how its moral universe operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the blackened, cynical vibe of a noir, uh, even though it isn't really structured or like or scripted like one. Anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I just noticed. Yeah, it would be something I would normally describe as noir, but it does have that gloomy outlook. It has an anti-hero, essentially, although I think he's he's borderline anti-hero. He's, he seems like more reformed uh, and heroic type, but he is a drug runner, so what can well, I say? Well, and he does seem to really enjoy causing pain. When Do he you gets think infected. so? Do you think I, he enjoys it? Because he he refuses the boxing match because he doesn't like to hit anybody unless he has to. Like, I, I feel like he's a guy that doesn't like the violence but knows that he must, and that's part of his test. Like, I think he that's, hates it. I think that's incorrect. I think that he's a guy who knows that deep down he does love violence, but he also his but he you know he's let his civilized side take the reins for a long time specifically because he knows he enjoys brutality and he's extremely capable of it. That's so you think that he's I get. resisting most of the time and then he finally just lets it go. Yes. I think okay. that's absolutely what's happening. I, I saw, I always see him as somebody that, that is constantly sad that he has to do any of this, that, <laughs> that he doesn't like having to do any of it, but he knows that he knows what he's capable of. And I, and he definitely has that violence inside him, but hates letting it out. Like just... Well, and it's also like the you also get to an interesting question of to what extent is he performing for the people that he's uh, in, in conflict with? Because as soon as he gets to prison and then he has to be the guy who gets to the worst and worst prisons, um, the, the, the perception of him as a person has to change. So he immediately 
uh, while after being respectful, uh, you know, Southern gentlemanly for so much of the movie, suddenly he's throwing around racial epithets or like, you know, trying to antagonize people specifically to get a rise out of them. That includes the guards and the other inmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's a, we, we get the sense that it's a performance and it's not really him, but it does. I don't know. At least for me, it did make me wonder again about his background, which you can't forget about because it's on the back of his goddamn skull. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's just I think this is the sort of the sort of queasy ambiguity that I think Zoller just loves to hang around in. Right. <laughs> well, it makes his characters seem a lot more complex. Just adding a few simple things, putting that cross on the back of his head does a lot for Vince Vaughn's character. Um, and not only that, though, like Vince Vaughn's own physical acting is part of what may also makes me think that he's uh, weary about all of this i know that he he, i I, see i think it is a performance i think he knows what he has to do and had he never received that information about his wife and unborn child that he would he would been perfectly happy to be respectful the entire time maybe not to other prisoners but mostly i think he would have been fine he's he he still has a chip on his shoulder so he might have thrown out the occasional you know he when he talks to the, the guard that wants to box with him he's not too happy about wanting to box and this is before he knew anything about his wife and daughter um he gets a little lippy with that guy but outside of that i think he he'd been perfectly happy for it but you can and a part of that is what i get from just the way he walks around i just feel like he has been he's trying really really hard and it's making him tired he's trying to hard to be a decent person <laughs> and he is worn down by it i i would say this is like as far as vince vaughn's acting career goes to me this is a peak performance right here there's so much into it and i've never seen him be more physical and he is a big guy but i don't this think i've is, ever uh, seen him more be more intimidating than in this this is the kind of role that guys like vince vaughn probably sometimes literally kill for uh <laughs> because it completely changed certainly my perception and uh i think a lot of other people's perception about what he can do um, and none of that is because he's a great thespian, I don't think. I mean, I think he's a fine actor, but it's really just about presence. It's just about using his size and using his um, the, the timbre of his voice and also using our own perceptions about Vince Vaughn uh, as like um, as a screen actor historically, if we've seen him in anything. Um, I think it's 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 leveraging all that beautifully. And it's the best reason to watch this movie. Yeah, he definitely brings something to the table that I'm not sure. It's hard for me to imagine uh, another person doing it quite this well. And you see that right off the bat, just him lumbering as, you know, over from his tow truck to, you know, getting fired by his boss at the, at the, the car shop. Um, it's, it's this big, it's like he's a giant in this movie. And I, like I say, I know the guy's he's big in real life. He's I think he's six six, somewhere around there. He's he's a he's decently stacked dude, but he's not particularly muscular. But no. he comes across as a bruiser in this. Just a big I don't want to say oaf, but a big hunk of a guy that could that when his fists land, you believe that he somehow you believe that he does have the physical power to do some of these things just by the way that he moves. And if I, I, I think could that describe... was absolutely vital to this movie. If if I could describe Vince Vaughn's physicality in this film, I would say that his torso is just a log 
and then his limbs are also just made up of smaller logs. <laughs> he just it, just totally lumbering. There's multiple scenes of him going through st- like security stages in the prison and people speculating about his physical attributes, which is very funny. Um, the uh, Changing their mind uh, in, almost in an instant. Yeah. And also, um, every th- they must have done this on purpose. Every single person who works in the prison, and I mean both prisons, are little manlets. They're yes. little tiny men. Uh, including Don Johnson, who uh, Vince Vaughn, absolutely, at least in this movie, absolutely towers over, mm-hmm. um, and that had to be on purpose, not just to make not, not just to make Vince Vaughn seem bigger, but the idea that the the prison guards are all these like little uh, little wannabe fascist bullies who are actually like not that tough, uh, yes, when when really pressed, or or they're just guys doing a job in some cases. Um, some of them are, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. would say I I believe his name is pronounced Thomas Geary, but he's the 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 little guard at the last prison, and he seems to me to personify that that kind of like. I did not sign up for this man. Um, but yet Don Johnson, casting of Don Johnson was brilliant because yes, he is shorter than Vince Vaughn, and yet he comes across as just as intimidating. Mm. <laughs> He's a great foil because you believe that no matter what, Vince Vaughn is this physical power that is now being unleashed upon his prison that his guards can't handle. And yet you always believe that Don Johnson can handle this. He is still in control regardless. So it gives you that queasy feeling for Vince Vaughn's character because you you just have this idea that he's not going to be able to make it. Don Johnson's too in control he's not maniacal enough to slip up and make mistakes he's incredibly smart and just uh and you just don't get the sense that this is going to turn out well see i didn't get the sense that don johnson was all that smart i really i i I got the sense that don johnson had the good fortune to have a a prison fortress supplied with you know heavy chains and stun belts and torture devices and guns Mm -hmm. and just kind of coasts on that but I think the big fucking tell is his stupid cigar smoking habit, which <laughs> anyone, I really think this is true. Anyone who smokes a cigar as an affectation is compensating for the fact that they're really like not that big a deal <laughs> or uh-huh. like, or I don't know. It's, it's such a like, Oh, I'm a man. Look at me. Smoke it. Like put sticking this, this thing in my, or whatever it's it. To me, that is the sign of a try hard wannabe fascist. And he's just the king of the little man tryhard fascists, uh, who who you know of course has to win because he controls the prison, he makes the rules. Um, yeah. He's the mod or the big boss of this film or whatever. Uh, but I he did not strike me as being particularly cunning, as we see from the fact that the fucking stun belt is really not that hard to beat. No, not at all. But at the same time, I never thought that anybody was going to outwit him and escape. Like, the, yeah. and it, I know it is a prison; and it's not supposed to be. But in a fairy tale type movie, you could see your hero actually somehow crawling through the sewer, Shawshank Redemption style, and making it out of there, um, or at least beating him to death or something. Yeah, like, right. Giving his revenge is come up and but Don Johnson never at any point in this movie even seems to feel threatened by what's going on in that prison. He well, he never flips out and goes crazy and has a temper tantrum or anything. Any of those normal uh, tells that you would expect from a kind of a guy that's not really in control. Well, but also, 
it, it kind of speaks to, and this is the last thing I'm, I'm, I'm going to say before uh, we get to the questions. Um, it speaks to something about the Vince Vaughn character and his code that he always seems to, I don't know, I think there's something about the fact that Don Johnson is still basically just a guy doing his job. I mean, the job is horrible and he takes pleasure in doing it and it's, you know, grotesque. Mm. But he, but Don Johnson is not his enemy in this film. His enemy is the the cartel or whatever, the people holding his his uh, his wife hostage. So ultimately, at the end of the film, he's perfectly happy to negotiate with him over the situation and not just hulk out and try to kill him or whatever, uh, because he knows that uh, obviously he wants to end him, but he's like, um, you know, he's perpendicular to the situation or whatever. Uh, yeah. And I, there's, there, again, there's something in there about uh, about uh, respect for authority, I think, on some level. And to me, I see it as he has two enemies in this. And one is it's uh, the powerful drug dealer who is one represents one kind of system. And the other one is the system of law and order, which is also pushing back on him and not allowing him to just be to do what he needs to do in order to survive. You're, you, he can defeat one of these enemies, but he cannot defeat the other one. And the system has been pushing back on him his whole life, which is why we get that whole all that stuff at the beginning. But he's and not, a little bit of talk from him about how growing up in the South sucked ass. Right. And he's not going to beat this system. And that's why I feel like the Don Johnson character never feels scared whatsoever, because he cannot take on this system. This is not something that he can possibly ever, ever, ever overcome. Like, this is the way that it is too bad you made your choices um yeah so i feel like that's that has something to do that he was never ever ever going to get out of there and that's why there's just this level of calm and down in that negotiation down there it's just like hey look there is only one there is definitely one system that's in control here and it, it, it can do to you what it wants when it wants you can wreak a little bit of havoc but you're never going to make it out you're not going to change this system whatsoever and in the end you're just going to be yeah, shot in I'm, the face. <laughs> I mean, really, his worldview is summed up in one horrible moment when he accidentally crushes that guard's skull because he tried to get out of the of the locked cell, <laughs> yes. and he just looks over and he says, "Stupid, stupid asshole." <laughs> <laughs> the guard says, "You killed him." He goes, "I know what I did." Um, yeah. Yep, yeah, exactly. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to be part of this. He'd really never wanted any of this to happen, but it did happen. And Dollar's basically saying, "All right, now it's time for him to just deal with it, face up to it." And boy, he does. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just there, there's something about this movie. I'll sum it up really quick before we go to our questions. But there's something about this movie that really does get to me. Uh, I love all that little. I love the little moments that Zoller has. There's way more of them in Drive Across Concrete. That's a much longer mm -hmm. movie. But I think this is where Bone Tomahawk had some, but it was a much more concise movie as well. There were some meandering conversations, you know, about soup and things like that. But it didn't, <laughs> didn't go, didn't if go you too think, far. Ricky, I know you're listening to this. If, if I know you didn't like uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, but what if it included several conversations about soup and was 20 <laughs> minutes longer? Would you like it better then? <laughs> But like you mentioned, those little moments about them just sizing him up, there's all kind of little throwaways in this, and I think that that's kind of fun. And the the end is somewhat cathartic, I would say. I, I feel like it pays off pretty nicely. Um, oddly, Gil is made out to be some kind of positive figure, even though he's the one that completely 
screwed everything up by accepting this deal in the first place. Um, yeah, anyway, it's a, I, I honestly, we'll get to this in just a little bit here. We're going to take a quick break, but I think it's a, a perfect movie for what it's trying to be. But I'll be curious about hearing uh, your, your viewpoint on that when we get back from break. Here is another clip from Brawl and Sevlock 99. Tell me my business. I do things direct, and I have a system. Won't last Minimum freedom. I'm not going to tell you anything you want to hear, and prison will give me plenty of time to look at guys I don't like. All right, we've reached a portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. Um... We really haven't gone too negative on this movie yet, but we will get to that. First, though, yeah. I got to ask you, Simon, what was your favorite scene from this film? My favorite scene? Uh, you know, it's funny. I usually think of this in advance. This time I was like, oh, whatever. It'll come to me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Would you like me to go first? No, I'll go first. Okay. I have to say there's a lot of scenes that I like in this film, but um, a lot of people in my life have had a lot of difficult time in the city with cars lately. Uh, a couple people I know have been hit by them or almost hit by them. Um, I know a couple people who've been in awful car accidents. Um, so it was quite cathartic for me to watch Vince Vaughn absolutely brutalize his car um, by hand, <laughs> by like, you know, like ripping off the hood and and breaking down the windows and uh, and having that delightful little sound effect when he whips the windshield away and it goes whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> yeah. he takes the what he does he takes the rear view mirror and tosses it and, I, whip, I noticed and, that and, uh, and boomerangs too. it somewhere yeah. it's just a wonderful sound that what's so one of my favorite bits of sound design in any movie because uh, i'm sure that is not the sound that that makes <laughs> oh god no i was trying to think of that i was like if i threw that i don't think it would make any noise oh <laughs> uh, i okay you that was my pick as well. I will pick something ah, else gotcha. to discuss it. But you do get me. I love that because it sets up his character so perfectly. The frustration inside him. Uh, it sets up his physicality. I, You could not. It would be really hard to rip a hood off of a car. I don't think that a, a one man could do it. But I believe it with him. And that's the, mm -hmm. that's the key. It's shot in just a way that you actually believe that this stuff that he could do these things. Punching through a car window is <laughs> not something. It'll break every bone in your hand if you do it. But... He seems to just get a little bit of bleeding out of it. He's got a pretty tight fist, apparently. But I love him punching out even the headlights and then ripping the headlights out. Yeah, that's a really nice touch. I, I, I was watching that and thinking, how in the hell did they film this without Vince Vaughn fucking up his hands? Like, I was I really, the same thing. I honestly don't know. And, I mean, props to them uh, and possibly the props department uh, for figuring out how to do that. Um the and I mean the other thing that needs to be mentioned about that scene is there's a giant fucking American flag in the background while it happens, yes. which yes. is you know which t it tells you everything about the kind of uh, su subtlety level that we're dealing with in this movie. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, and, and again, that's a character thing right there. He is somebody who believes, and uh, we've talked about Zoller, what we think uh, he believes in, but I think he does 
honestly sort of believe that in a land of opportunity, kind of ideal America. And I think that's what that represents. This character thinks that if he continues to try, he will succeed. What this movie is going to ultimately result in is that, no, that's not true. You you won't succeed no matter how hard you try. <laughs> I, you know what? I just realized that this entire movie is actually just a metaphor for being an American libertarian and how every day of your life is debasing and awful because your views are totally incompatible with reality. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. And I think if we were going to get close to pegging him, I would I would put Zoller's movies closer to libertarian. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which I believe Vince Vaughn has even said that he's libertarian as well. So it makes kind of sense that these guys would work together multiple times and then bringing Gibson and Gibson's off on his own own planet when it comes yeah, to this stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes because it's then followed up by that talk with his wife uh, who. I think that talk is fascinating as well, and it would not go that way in so many other movies. Um, that sort of, there's an edge to it. There's obviously a sense of potential danger. Like I said, there's the possibility that domestic abuse could erupt at any moment. It uh, it borderline does. You know, he's definitely giving her orders, you know, telling her to get inside, and you think, like, this is Southern Redneck stuff where he's going to now beat on his wife. But it goes a slightly different direction where there's a reconciliation, even though it's a, an awkward one. Kind of a charged one, I should say. Uh, but yeah, I love that whole that whole scene. Uh, outside of that, though, you got to go back. To, there's in a, that's where it's super gritty to me at first. Not very funny. I'm going to go all the way to the end of the movie then and do the brawl in cell block 99 because that scene is hilarious. To me. <laughs> I think it goes. It's not goofy or that I'm laughing at it, but as soon as he walks into the room at the end with his belt on, they realize that they can't shock him anymore. And that guy that's been practicing martial arts against the, against the, the sandbag tires, yeah. or the tires. That's what it was. Yeah. He, and he steps in to fight Vaughn and they get into this like martial arts thing. And I'm thinking, where the hell did Vaughn learn to fight like this? <laughs> There's nothing in his background that suggests that he has any knowledge of hand to hand combat like this. Boxing. You've skipped, maybe, key, but... you've skipped a key detail, which is that before he walks in, he takes the guard's bayonet and from off screen, from out of frame, he whips it at, I, I think, tire guy or, or maybe it's the big no, guy. I don't know. The big lug guy. The big, yeah. And, big. and it doesn't, it, it, it just kind of like wings him on the shoulder. Yeah. It does <laughs> it, nothing. It, it does absolutely nothing. <laughs> it like, great, great, like, it, great moment. Zoller focuses on him picking that thing up so much that you feel like, uh oh, he's going to start beating people with this. Yeah, and then it's just this goofy, just throws it in there. Uh, and it does nothing. But I love all the fight. I love the face smash and the rubbing, uh, uh, you know, scraping that guy's face against the pavement until it's just bone. It's a ridiculous, great practical effect um, or prosthetic. I, I, I doesn't. I don't know what that would look like in real life. So I probably not I that. I'm gonna say <laughs> probably not that. No, I doubt it. But I love it. And all the way up through to the end with this little negotiation, and uh, and then when he stomps that guy's head off. Yeah, I mean the that another important thing in that scene is that when uh, the uh, that the head guy, the big bad, tries to control the situation and once again invoke hierarchy and rules, mm-hmm. finally at last. Vince Vaughn is able to say, no, actually, uh, your order didn't help me. So now it's not going to help you. And uh, just, you know, we see what happens from there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, if you're capable of snapping limbs in half 
and you get in these sorts of situations, of course you would just do it all the time. Like the way MacGruber rips out throats, that's how <laughs> Vince Vaughn deals with limbs in this movie. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic scene that kind of, I wouldn't say it's a complete 180, but I, I, I tell me if I'm wrong here. That scene, he's having fun. I don't think that scene is meant to be, you're not meant to laugh at it necessarily, but it is meant to be fun and not, feel like a downer or it is oh not at all yeah it's it's uh i mean you can debate whether or not the movie earns uh trying to it really goes for pathos in that last phone call with his wife which maybe the movie earned that maybe it didn't maybe it works for you maybe it doesn't um but everything before that is very much a romp yeah yeah okay so if there was one thing you could change, this is where I think it's going to be fascinating because I'm going to have a hard time with this. But if there's one thing you could change about this film, what would it be? I'm not wild about the use of Jennifer Carpenter in this movie. Interesting. <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Uh, I right. mean, she's she's a very good actor. Um, I like that she's part of the Zoller crew ensemble, whatever, between this and Drive to Cross Concrete. Um, I'm just, I wish... Uh, I know that her lack of agency is important to the plot. I just kind of wish they could have gotten there some other way. Um, and I think that within that confines, they do the best they can. You know, she's active. You know, she 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 makes a good effort of not getting kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And she certainly delights in blowing Udo Kier's brains out. Um, but uh, by then, it kind of felt like too little, too late to me. And maybe it's also because I've seen Dragged Across Concrete. I know she doesn't fare well there either. But um, <laughs> actually, she fares a lot worse. Yeah, she um, does better in this one. Yeah, that's not really... Sorry, I'm sorry. That's sort of a spoiler for a different movie. But it's also not much of a spoiler. No. Uh, anyway. Um, the... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's... I understand why the device is there. Uh, but I, I just wish they could have gone about it some other way. Because it was just a little bit too familiar, damsel and distressy you know, tropey or whatever. I think it works with his blue collarness. I because that's something that I think that blue collar guys identify with, like protecting their their lady. Like to them that is the that that's the, the paramount um of responsibility of being a, a, a decent of an, being an honorable person, right? Whether or not it's old fashioned and everything like that. Like these guys are old fashioned and I, I feel like that that portrays that type of character pretty on the nose because guys like that do think like that. And that is what would motivate them to do something to do, to go through this hardship um, more oh, yeah. so than, I, than a lot of other stuff. I, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense for the, for the world or for the character. I just personally found it not the most exciting way that that could have happened. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think. I think she does an admirable, admirable job for what she is. I like again. I love that little scene in in the house when she's revealing her infidelity, and you know, there's references to both of them having drug or drinking problems in the past. Um, I think that comes across pretty well, also in her her physical performance. Uh, that there's a little bit of of a wounded bird <laughs> in her. Yeah, it, it kind of tips you off. I believe that they're meant to have met in recovery also. That was my yeah. guess anyway. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I can, I guess if I, I see, I'm not going to really say there is a weak part of this movie, but I can, I can definitely see your point. 
Um, it was just hard for me to, to pick this because as I was watching it, I also noticed like this is a two hour and 12 minute movie and it zipped by for me again. It just always does. I get so sucked into this film, the look of it and the, the atmosphere and everything that even the, the quiet moments, nothing, nothing goes on too long. And I was trying to think of what I would cut. And there's only one thing, one tiny little thing. <laughs> this is going to sound kind of funny, but it gets me every single time. There is a Latino man that is in the last prison, and he gets into a fight with him out in the courtyard. And that man shows up also in cell block 99, down in the last the last fight. Mm-hmm. And he looks so much like Gil, shot from a distance, that when they when they when he walks in and he sees the drug boss there, I always think it's Gil sitting next to him. Huh, that is a very strange thing to notice. And I always think, how did Gil, why is Gil not saying anything to them? They have this relationship. And then I always remember, oh, wait a second. Yeah, Gil's going to help save them. And he's not in prison. The only thing I can think of, Simon, this is stupid, but that is it. I would recast that guy so he doesn't look, to me at least, so much like Gil. Uh, That's it. I I would want to know who is this guy? Because everybody, I know who they are in the end, except for that guy. I don't know who he is. You know, and that also reminds me of another fascinating little screenwriting element of this movie, which is that the Gil character, played by Mark Blucas, is a horrible prick. Just an awful, awful person. And yet, in the last few minutes of the movie, he's allowed to have this, like, hero's re-entrance where uh, where he assists assists, uh, Jennifer Carpenter and uh, and helps save the day, at least on the non-prison end. And I, I thought that was an interesting way of, of Zoller almost saying, like, sometimes people can be pretty awful and still, like, ultimately be on your side. Um, yes. Very, an, an interesting set of choices that I'm not sure how I feel about, but it was certainly a choice. Honor Among Thieves, maybe. I think that that was portraying just a little bit. Um, you know, maybe he felt that he it was his duty to help out one of his former employees who, through his actions, got into trouble. Um, and so he was going to do what he could to help him out with his wife. I'm not sure. But yeah, it, it definitely makes his world just that much more grayer. And again, if you end up watching Dread Cost Concrete, there's nothing but gray characters in that movie. Gray or, well, gray or black. Or, or black. Dark, or completely dark, very evil. dark gray. Yeah, yeah. But there's nobody who would be considered just like good all around. Um, well, except for maybe Jennifer Carpenter's character. <laughs> oh, well. um all right so all that being said uh who is the mvp of this this could be an interesting debate i mean you want to say vaughn but you can't i mean zoller is the reason this movie is the way that it is and uh and i mean that in every sense other than the fact i mean he's, he's not acting in it as far as i know unless i mean i've never seen him and vaughn i don't even know what he looks like maybe he actually just is vince vaughn I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I've seen Zoller. He, he looks at nothing. Uh, let's see. How do I? How, oh. I'm not, I'm, he looks more closer to Don Johnson than he does to. Oh, that to makes perfect Bob. sense. Perfect <laughs> sense. Um, yeah. I mean, it's got to be Zoller. Like, it's a boring answer, but it's true. Yeah. It's tough for me to think that I, I, it would just be like a co MVP if I had my, my ultimate dithers. But um, it's tough to imagine this movie without Vaughn. Had he cast this movie, would it have been as successful? With a different actor, I'm trying to think of another actor. It's very possible that it could have. Obviously, it's just hard if, to if he'd cast, uh, oh, fuck, what's his name, the the ex wrestler guy who is in Blade Runner and a million other things. Oh, sure, sure, I know who you're talking about. Uh, Batista. 
Yeah, if he'd cast Batista, I think that could have worked. I think there's a lot of big, uh, smirky actors who I think could have done the job. Uh, secretly, I think acting is not that hard. By the way, I've done I've done it a little bit. But I think this, this the dirty secret of it is that it's not that hard, and mostly people are just very poorly cast, mm-hmm. um, or poorly directed, or whatever. But uh, so yeah, I'm 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 hesitant to say that Vaughn is like the only person who could have done it justice. No, and that's a, it's usually a stupid thing to say anyway. Somebody uh, somebody always could have done it as well. It's just that I do think Vaughn brings a lot to that character. I think he and the director like line up pretty well. I think they mesh. Yeah, I think they clearly communicated really well. And that may not have happened as well with another actor. But yeah, ultimately, you have to give it to Zoller just because of the atmosphere it creates. I love the look of this film, too, which we we barely discussed at all. But I really, really love how even on the sunny days, it's gloomy. And it just Mm -hmm. continues to get gloomier and gloomier as, you know, more sometimes literal shit comes uh, into play. Yeah, I mean, there's literally less and less light in the film (laughs) as as we descend, uh, as you said, more or less literally into hell. Yeah. Yep. The only time that I think that it's shot with any kind of warmness is when they're inside Vince Vaughn's house, like in his baby's room and in his kitchen, where that seems mm-hmm. to be his little his little slice of Eden. But other the rest of the world is has got a filter on it that is a cold blue kind of filter. <laughs> and it's it doesn't pro- project like something that's positive. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you got to give it to Zoller. The little dialogue touches. Everything about his movies, his movies have just interesting characters, interesting side characters, too. He's one of those guys that, you know, like the Coen brothers, like Tarantino, can create interesting an interesting supporting cast. Everybody seems to be to have their own little life going on, and they don't exist just for the screenplay, just the, for the um, character to interact with. I mean, great example of that is definitely the best laugh in the movie is when uh, when Vaughn does finally take control of the situation and they have to call off the Korean abortionist, he looks so <laughs> crestfallen that he doesn't get to snip the limbs off of a, off of a fetus. Yes. <laughs> I think he even says, like, disappointing, kind disappointing. of with this heavy yeah. sigh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's terrible, but yes, very funny. Uh, another and... great uh, one-liner, which I don't know if... I, I don't know if Zoller wrote this or... If uh, Vaughn improved it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But uh, when he's facing down the uh, the the guard who wants to get him into boxing, and uh, and and the guard says, "Those muscles, they just for show," and he says, "Helps me lift stuff." That's a great line. That's that's like a classic '70s quip. I appreciate yes. that. Yep, from a beefcake back then. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think this will be a fairly quick one. I doubt we're going to have to debate that. I don't know. Maybe you'll come up with something, though. Uh, the Howard Hawks test. Does this movie have three great scenes and no bad ones? Uh, I think yes. I, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes in this movie. I don't yeah. know if I could I could, I could name... Uh, again, Ricky's just fuming somewhere, but I don't think I could name just three. Yeah, me either. I, I, it's for me the entire movie flows so perfectly. I'm not going to say that every scene is great. There, are, like I think maybe the one where he's where he's with Jennifer Carpenter at home and she's cutting up dinner or something. And he tells her not to use the knife. I understand why that that scene is there. I don't think it's a bad scene at all whatsoever, but it's not what I would call great. Um, but yeah, other than that, there's the almost everything that happens in prison. I absolutely love. To me, Devaldo is just something about him. 
but as far as the beating up the car for sure <laughs> and then the subsequent talk about the infidelity uh the end of course and the boxing scene is a great scene like just all those scenes of him beating up guards i think are fantastic uh not because i love the the punching but because i think that it, it is action that actually does drive the plot like it's done with a purpose well so- and i would say that even the scenes that aren't as memorable he seems to understand that they're not as memorable so he tries to get through them as as efficiently as possible and or add some interesting element. And I'm thinking specifically of stuff like uh, when the, uh, we, we get a few scenes where Vaughn is finding out what is happening to his wife. Mm-hmm. And it's really just a series of seated conversations that are not that cinematically interesting. Um, so uh, at that point, I think he looked at his script and said, well, fuck, I need Udo Kier. <laughs> because uh, I need otherwise to deliver this I, I need I need some weird shit in this scene because otherwise it is boring um and uh you know he, that's that's just uh, that's good instincts right there mm-hmm. and just throwing in little lines about how you know him talking to the glass and saying pick up the phone pick up the phone uh, little things that throw a scene off kilter like that instead of characters mm-hmm. automatically doing it because they've rehearsed it so many times um just stuff like that makes it just feel that much more real Oh, and those are all over the fight scenes also. Like, there are not one, but two instances of someone uh, brutally hitting the wrong person, like the person <laughs> they did not intend to hit. Um, yes. And uh, I, I loved it both times. Yeah, yeah, it works. I, and it makes the fights just, even though there's some stylized stuff, like I say, with the with the martial artists at the end, that that's definitely a nice little... Nice shot showing an extended an extended shot of those guys fighting. That's pretty stylized. But the other stuff feels a little more gritty and, uh, I don't know, brutal, all the more brutal because of it. Yeah, um, there's there's little stylized things like uh, like when characters' dukes go up at the exact same second <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, at that point, he had completely embraced. They were completely in a fantasy world. that The reality had been left behind long ago at that point. Yep. Which is great. I think that works for the movie, and that works for making the ending feel okay, and not not on a down note. I don't feel down after watching that movie. This movie. Well, it helps that uh, moments after Vince Vaughn gets his brains blown out, it's like one last chirpy soul song, everyone. <laughs> Fantastic music. I I don't know this, and maybe before we move on to the last question, do you know if he also wrote the the because he has similar music in Drive Across Concrete. Did he write that as well? I think... You know uh, off the top of your head? I, I, I don't know. But I, okay. I think he probably had some involvement at least. Well, at some point, way down the line, we're not going to pick another Zoller movie right away because i got to space these out. But uh, we, we may look at all three uh, at some point here. But yeah, we'll be doing Drive to Cost Concrete. Um, hopefully Rick will like that one better. All right, last question, though. Is there an audience for this movie going forward? I was looking at the box office receipts for this one. Not great. Uh, <laughs> at least according to Wikipedia, only 65 grand uh, that it made in theaters. Don't know what it's done outside of that, but this seems to be typical of, so far, typical of his films. He's he's spending more on them than he's making, and thank God he's getting to make them. They're not exactly big-budget movies. They're very low-budget, but nobody's getting a chance to see these things, or at least nobody is watching them. Do you the, think uh, this is a movie that can appeal to people? I mean, 
look, this movie has a, has a tiny audience. Uh, this and it's made for a tiny audience. It's not mm-hmm. made for a broad audience. It's made for people who are interested in askew modern genre movies with occasional ultraviolence and that take their sweet ass time. Uh, and that's not, I mean, only a couple of people are really working in that kind of way. And you know, can make hundred million dollars off of once upon a time in Hollywood. Sure. Another but only he's the only guy who can get away with that and get real money to make stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to be a genius to look at this or drag across concrete and know Dragged Across Concrete maybe had a slight, somewhat higher budget based on the set pieces, yeah. but these are not these are not uh, blowing anyone's budget. I mean, the guy's making the fucking music himself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yet he's he's maximizing those budgets. So I don't want to anybody who hasn't seen these don't go thinking that you're going to be watching schlock. Like this guy knows what he's doing. There's no question that he is a very skilled filmmaker um, and knows what to do with a with a small budget. But yeah, there this. Just the sets alone, even though everything's very well done, he knows how to keep things under control when it comes to that. Well, and I'd say another thing that he has in common with Tarantino is that despite all the pastiche and the referencing and all that, they're both almost painfully earnest filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no—I guess there's some winking and irony in some places in Tarantino, but— I always feel like this, both this film, despite it's like the way it seems to enjoy toying with your perception of its politics or whatever, I still feel like it's coming from a, a, a an earnest place. And I think that that's very different from a lot of other sort of more wink, wink, not nudge, nudge type uh, ironic uh, action films, or I mean, especially superhero films and stuff like that. There's, there's no, no sincerity it, it, whatsoever. Yeah, it, it it doesn't feel. It feels like it 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 comes from a private moral universe, uh, unlike those films. I get the sense that this was a story. These were characters that this guy legitimately wanted. He wanted to tell their story. He is interested in this story, and that it, this wasn't designed to make a movie because I want to get into filmmaking, and so I need I need a subject matter to make a movie from. I, I feel like he really, really does like the worlds that he creates. And that's why he spends so much time in them. And it just so happens that he's one of those filmmakers, one of the few that can do that where I don't feel like things are getting slow. Um, I can just sit there and watch Vince Vaughn beat up a car for a little while. Now, granted, that's one of the more entertaining scenes. But I can also, also watch him just sitting in a jail cell. There are little beats in this movie where somebody will call his name and he just sits there in his bed on his cot for like an extra five seconds, just little things like that, where another movie mm-hmm. would have had him immediately get up. And instead you just watch him sit there for a bit. And then he finally gets up. It just seems to go on a little bit longer than normal. And that might take getting used to. It didn't for me. Like it just, it feels good for some reason when it comes to this movie that he's taking his time. Craig Zoller's characters, a lot of them seem to be on in the same like mindfulness meditation class or something because a lot of the time they just take a second and breathe <laughs> and assess and then act, which is like a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. They can sit there and wait for long period. They're very, very patient, uh, his main characters. And again, we keep referencing Drive Across Concrete. They, you will see it in that as well. Just stakeouts, just very... I swear to God, three quarters of that movie is a stakeout of one kind or another. <laughs> I know, with Vince Vaughn eating an egg salad sandwich. Um 
I don't know why I love that. There's something about the way he shoots it that I love it. But uh, I guess that's enough of me just absolutely creaming over this movie. Uh, I can't help it. This is one of my favorite movies in the last 10 years easily. I mean, I, I probably should have put it on... Well, if, I should have put it on a best of a decade thing, but I overlooked it just like everyone else. <laughs> Um, all right, that should probably wrap things up, though. Simon, you're not online. Is that I'm correct? on no, Letterboxd. You are. You're on. You've got your. Yes, go ahead. I'm on Letterboxd. That's it. There. That's enough. All right. Um, I am going to start writing reviews really soon. I keep saying that, but this time it's actually true because I'm going to find myself in a couple of weeks with some free time. So I think I'm going to get back into the review game and start watching some of these screeners that, that we get sent all the time. Or oh. just been interfering with that, but. That reminds me that I'm actually going to write something about our next movie, which I'm not. Let's not say the title yet. I okay, that should be a surprise. You let's don't want me people. to announce it. Okay, no, all right. Don't announce it. You'll all find right, out. I, it's. A, I, will, a, a, I want that to be our little private secret, because the internet mostly hasn't heard about this movie, so I I don't want to spill the beans just yet. All right. Well, that will be next week. I'm looking forward to watching this. I'm trying to avoid everything as much as possible. All I saw was the Rotten Tomatoes score. And that, <laughs> I, think you, I think you had already said that. <laughs> so I just checked out for myself, but I didn't read any reviews. Um, so I'm looking forward to this one. Plus, I just heard Rick gush over it a little bit. So I'm, I'm uh, now I'm really curious to check this out. <laughs> That's going to happen on, on Friday. Friday is my normal podcast movie night. Um, with that, though, you can find our podcast, of course, um, at goombastomp.com, swordcinema.com, Sword Cinema Podcast. You can find it everywhere on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places that Ricky normally lists off that I'm not at nearly as good at listing off. Um, leave us a review if you can on iTunes. We'd love to hear from anybody, um, especially if anybody's seeing some of these movies, these oddball movies that we're bringing up. We've, we've had a few smaller ones in the last few weeks, so it'd be uh, it'd be cool to hear whether people are checking these out for the first time. Um, other than that, we will be back next week with our mystery movie. We'll see you then. Oh, no.